0: everybody Magnus here you know a couple of weeks ago there was this sort of two-part crossover between views from the long box and darkness to light and basically what they talked about was the mark Wade Alex Ross miniseries Kingdom come and the views from the long box episode for those of you who didn't listen to it and shame on you by the way because that was a fucking great episode but anyway the views from the long box episode talked about the comic. You know, it was Emily, Professor Allen, and and Michael Bailey talking about Kingdom Come, I guess, as a comic book story, right? And then part two of all of that transitioned over to darkness to light, where. Emily, Professor Allen, and Michael Bailey, once again, joined forces, but this time to talk about Kingdom Come from more, I guess, of a religious standpoint, uh, theological standpoint, uh, spiritual, you know, however you want to quantify it. And the two episodes, at least for me, were... They were so interesting that I actually released a special episode of Trinus Magnus Jabs Reality, sort of as a reaction episode and i I, to be honest with you guys i mean i really bent over backwards to make it clear that i was just shooting the bull and not trying to upset anybody or anything like that or insult mock harass just fucking whatever anybody because you know i really do consider emily professor allen and michael bailey to be friends and so the last thing i'd want to do is release something that would upset them and hopefully that message was communicated because I repeated it so many times, I can't imagine how it could have been misunderstood, but, well, just look around you. The number of things that people get upset about these days. Anyway, so, this in turn inspired a reaction, kinda, sorta, from uh, Emily and Professor Allen in their uh, very next episode of Dorkness to Light, and they reacted to my reaction. And Anyway, so this isn't really a reaction to a reaction to a reaction, I suppose. This isn't really what that is. I just wanted to kind of use that to set the table here and mention that it came out during that episode of Darkness to Light that Professor Allen has read uh, the Twilight series. He mentioned that, you know, he'd read the uh, Twilight book series. Now... This, again, is... This actually, I'll I'll be honest with you, is a less surprising revelation, at least to me, than, I guess, the revelation that he was engaged in a full-scale, front-to-back, side-to-side, top-to-bottom, beginning-to-end, re-reading project of the Left Behind book series. I mean, I don't know why, but for some reason, the fact that he's read the Twilight books, that just does not really surprise me all that much so what I will say is that it's not like I I guess it's I guess what I'm saying is it's not that I had predicted something like that what I'm saying is it didn't come as a great surprise to me but you know the fact that he admitted something like that because let's face it I mean at least in at least in our fraternity, I, copying to anything related to Twilight is not necessarily politically correct. So I'm going to be coming back to that, actually, uh, in just a minute. But all of this is sort of a long introduction into me saying that, yes, I have in fact seen the Twilight movies, right? And basically what happened was this. I started up uh, with my girlfriend she and I had just met. And sometimes in life, you know. Sometimes you don't. I mean, I guess maybe there are people out there who meet the person that they're going to fall in love with and they just didn't know it in that moment. I mean, I, I can't really believe that this is, you know, like a universal experience that sometimes you just fucking know. But at least, you know, getting to know her not very long after we first met I knew, you know this is it and one of the things that came out just over the course of the numerous conversations we had was that she was really looking forward to the next Twilight movie that was coming in fact I think if if memory serves this was the last Twilight movie if that's going to help any of you I guess place all of this you know, chronologically Uh, she said that you know, the next movie, the the next Twilight movie that was coming out is in fact the last Twilight movie. So what I assumed is that I was going to get dragged along to the movies so that I could watch it, you know, and because she probably wouldn't want to go alone. And so what I did was I obtained the movies from the usual sources and I just gave them, I just kind of made, not not like a one-night marathon out of it, but I would basically, I think it was, I think there were, I honestly don't even know how many how many movies, how many Twilight movies were ever made. The, the exact number uh, escapes me, so I'm just going to vamp for time a little bit here while I search good old Wikipedia, and then I can give you a little bit more of, a, of an exact, I don't know, um, estimate. in, in, uh, when exactly it was that all of this took place, but also give you a basic idea of how many fucking movies there were. Aha, yes. So there are actually five. Okay, for some reason, I I guess I thought, I don't know why, but I thought there were four movies, but okay, whatever. I guess my memory is kind of shitty sometimes. So, okay, so... And wow, my memory is really shitty because I look at this and the last two movies, they... Let's see. This is called Breaking Dawn. So part one came out in... Tw- ah, yes, I remember now. Okay. All right. It's all coming back. All right. So it wasn't actually the year that we met. The last one, uh, I, this is called Breaking Dawn Part 2. Uh, this actually came out in 2012. So, hmm, silly me. But okay. So whatever. There were five of them. And basically... I assumed that I would get dragged along to see the, the, the last one with Stacy, Because, hey, who knew, right? So I watched, I guess, the four movies that, that had already come out up to then, assuming that I would uh, also get taken along to see the last one. And then, of course, that never happened. Now, so I guess from the outset, you know, let me just say that these movies, not half bad, you know? Now guys i'm not gonna blow sunshine here okay not for any of you it there is a target demographic for those movies and it's just not me (laughs) okay so whatever i'm fine with that but you know i guess on their own merits they're not like terrible movies i mean we've all seen worse movies than the twilight movies you know so i guess put a pencil to it There's that to think about. I mean, I guess just from like a story standpoint and what these movies are, or I guess what these books are, and then also what these movies are and everything. I mean, guys, it's really not all that bad. You know, it really isn't. So there's that uh, to think about. But one of the things about those movies that I think is incredibly fucking well done, is actually the film scores for those movies. I mean, those are some, I'm not gonna sit here and tell you that those are the greatest film scores that there's ever been, but man, they are really fucking good. You know, I know from good film scores, guys, and those are good scores, all right? I'm not exactly Scott Gardner when it comes to film scores, but I'd like to think that I know what I like and that stuff is great. So all around, I guess what I'm saying is, you know, even if you're not really into the movies themselves, there is something redeeming about them vis-a-vis the film scores, because hopefully I'll remember to play a little bit of uh, this music in the background as I'm going through my little spiel here. Now, all of this is kind of a long way of circling back to what I said earlier in relation to Professor Allen having read the Twilight books and then now me having seen the Twilight movies. And, you know, Guys, I'll be the first to admit that I saw those movies ages ago. I've retained basically nothing about them. So it is quite possible that I'm misremembering them. I don't know. But, and the reason for that is because I really have no great desire to ever see them again. But, you know, seeing them once didn't exactly kill me. So anyway, the point is, I remember what was going on in, I guess comic book geek fandom and I guess just the general circles of comic book geek fandom that I that I was running in at the time that those movies were coming out and you know guys I gotta tell you you know I mean even at the time that all of this stuff was happening you know those movies were coming out and people were falling in love with them and going to see them at midnight just having a great old time you know the way that a lot of comic book geeks I guess, reacted to Twilight as a phenomenon. I mean, number one, it was just incredibly fucking hypocritical. I mean, let's just start there. You know, I mean, you guys, uh, you know, uh, there are people in our in our fraternity who cosplay as Superman. They go to, you know, San Diego Comic-Con and all of that stuff. But hey, the Twilight fans are weird. You know, whatever, you know, I don't really, I I guess I don't get that, you know, I mean, You know, of all people, you'd think that we would be a little bit more tolerant and open-minded of other people's fandom. Because guys, if I've taken no other lesson from organized fandom and my participation therein, it's that you never, ever have the right to criticize somebody else's fandom you know, for whatever their thing is, you know, whether it's comics or whether it's it fucking it's it's anime. I really don't understand that. But, you know, whatever. I don't have to understand it. If they like it, fine. They're not out there shooting people. So that isn't that worth something, you know, or let me think. uh, They like collecting Carl Barks, Disney comics, or if they like uh, 1980s cartoon shows, you know, it's just why can't people just like the stuff that they like? You know, why does everything always have to be held in moral fucking contempt just because you're not into it you know i mean i of all people you know i would expect comic book fans to understand that because you know a lot of us not all of us god knows but a lot of us you know we came up in a time and in a place when you know enjoying batman comics or enjoying avengers comics or enjoying the flash or just fucking you know whatever your whatever your thing is You know, that could make enemies. You know, that could make you a target when you're at school. Uh, You know, uh, people, bullies that you don't know, you never had any problem with, and you would be just as happy to leave them alone and be left alone by them. Now, all of a sudden, you're on their radar, you know? And it just seems incredibly fucking hypocritical that, you know, that I guess organized comic book fandom in particular had the fucking temerity to look down their nose at 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 twilight fans you know i mean i'm not trying to you know sound preachy or judgmental or or anything like that but you know i i kind of have to wonder you know did we as a fandom forget where we came from you know because guys i know where i came from and i'm here to tell you that there you know what there were times when i was a kid being a comic book fan was great. You know, it was everything I wanted it to be. There were other times, though, guys, it made me a fucking target, all right? And that was not very much fun. And yet, instead of accepting people who maybe they like something that we don't, but fucking whatever, you know, instead of accepting people who are different from us, you know, we we basically paid it forward. You know, the same... Uh, mockery, the same scorn, the same bullying, maybe, that a lot of us had to deal with when we were when we were kids. Well, we just passed it on to them. You know? So... Aren't we a virtuous bunch? So, anyway. Like I say, I'm not trying to sound preachy or anything like that. I'm just saying that... Well, that's... That's what I'm saying. So, there's that. And, I guess, number two, it was... The reaction, you know, the way that a lot of comic book fans reacted to Twilight as a phenomenon, you know, as a sort of a cultural event, it was just so out of proportion to what those movies actually are. You know, because when you think about it, I mean, even at the time that these movies were coming out, it never, it, I don't, I honestly don't think anybody who was alive at that time and was kind of paying attention to pop culture really thought that this was going to be Star Wars for, uh, I don't know, drama obsessed junior high girls. I really don't think anybody thought that Twilight would have that kind of staying power. And indeed, it doesn't seem like it has, you know? And so, you know, it's just the way that people reacted to this, it was just so far out of fucking proportion that... It just kind of made me think you know are these people covering something up here you know i mean are you just trying to disguise the fact that you know maybe you think kristen stewart is kind of hot or maybe you think oh god now i can't remember the the kid's name that vampire kid the guy that played the vampire kid i i honestly i don't remember his name but you know uh maybe you know maybe you're you you're into that character you know you just really like and now of course can't remember the fucking character's name even like i said guys i mean i've I saw those movies ages ago. I've retained a little or nothing of it, but the one from Harry Potter, he was in Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire. He played Cedric, that guy, you know? Uh, you like that character, you know, the one he played in, in uh, Twilight. You like that character, you know? And uh, you're kind of insecure about the fact that you like that character, so you have to pretend like you hate these movies because something, I don't know. You know, it's just, like I say, the reaction, number one, was, I think, completely fucking hypocritical. And number two, it was so far out of proportion to what these movies are, guys. It's... It's... It it just... I don't want to go so far as to call it a fad. But it it was just here today, gone later today type of... Well, fuck it. I'll just call it a fad. You know? And seriously, guys. I mean, even if you think that that those movies are... I guess just kind of popcorn entertainment for junior high girls or high school girls or just whatever. What's wrong with that, you know? What's the problem? I don't know. So, anyway, like I say, if nothing else good came out of uh, of Twilight, and I'm kind of starting to think that really maybe not much else did, because, you know, it's not like I really know anything about Twilight fandom, but I kind of judged a lot of things by... Stacy's reaction and I got the idea that she was really into Twilight at least to start with but by about the time that last movie came out everybody involved with Twilight fandom they were ready for this to be over you know I mean yeah it was a good ride they had fun they enjoyed it but it was time for this to be over now you know they really weren't sorry to see the end of the series And that seems to be true of my girlfriend, and from what little I can gather, it seems like it was basically true of Twilight fans in general. They were ready for it to end. So, like I say, all of this just seems so completely unnecessary to me. So, anyway. So, wow, that was a pretty long little introductory tag that I've got coming here. Well, anyway... I think that's pretty much it for that. Now enjoy the rest of the episode. I've studied the form of comics, Ant. What you need is a hobby. The words and pictures, it could be more than art form. What? fuck are you talking about? I don't mean, know, it's a pretty goddamn weird. A guy dresses up like a devil, a blind lawyer, you know? We have to do Aquaman. No one with a lick of sense would watch that show. The
1: word fan actually is a, an abbreviated form of fanatic. And there are some people who fit that category.
0: I believe comics are our last link to an ancient way of passing on history.
1: You can put on a uniform for football year-round, nobody cares. Basketball year-round, nobody cares. Put on a Star Trek uniform, people get a taste of the giggles. Yeah.
0: Tell they told me to make comic books here. That's from Superman? It's small help. You have been trying that Jet Online shit on me since the eighth grade. It doesn't work. Well, it works.
1: You guys must read too many comic books or something. People do not masturbate in the DC universe.
0: That was the biggest load of crap I've ever heard. <laughs> Trenis Magnus Punches Reality, presented by Two True Freaks. I'm your host, Magnus, and what I do is I talk about comics, movies, and TV shows. And I've been doing it for quite a while, as a matter of fact, because this is episode number 168. Another way of looking at this, though, is that I have done so fucking many shows now, and I've talked about so many comics, that a lot of things have been kind of left behind. I mean, if you've been listening to Trennis Magnus Punch's reality for any length of time at all, 10 to 1 you've probably heard me say, now look, I'm coming back to this title at some point or another in the future. I don't know when, but I will talk about more issues someday. And yet, each new episode seems to be about something else, something new, and it's really been the rare occasion that I've actually been able to come back to something that I promise that I talk more about in the future and then talk about it. So that's really the purpose of this mini-series that I'm going through right now. It's called Unfinished Business, and the idea here is I basically have a chance to pick up where I left off on several different titles. So last week I talked about Star Wars Episode 2, Attack of the Clones. This week I'm going to be talking about The Legion of Superheroes. Specifically this is The Legion of Superheroes Volume 5 which is also known as The Legion of Superheroes 3-boot because you had the original iteration of The Legion of Superheroes Then you had the post-zero-hour reboot of the Legion of Superheroes. Well, this also is a reboot of the Legion, and so a lot of fans have just started calling this the three-boot. I did not make that up. Anyway, so... The reason that I want to talk about the three-boot Legion is because I fucking love this version of the Legion. I mean, I've got nothing against the post-zero-hour Legion of Superheroes, it's just I'm trying to think of a polite way to put it. Some of those stories were a little bit hard to get into. Mark Wade has described that era of the Legion of Superheroes as being kind of like fan fiction because so much of it was dedicated to um trying to think of the best way to put it. Recapitulating a bunch of classic Legion of Superheroes stories. And so there wasn't as much original stuff there as there might have been and that in, ended up becoming a little bit of a point of contention with Mark Wade. He never came right out and said so but I got the impression that he believed that he himself and then also other writers kind of went up their own asses a little bit in terms of creating a little bit of a photocopy of the original version of the Legion of Superheroes and so as a result the post-zero hour version of the team never really had a chance to shine on their own, and so the purpose, he says, of the three boot legion was to truly reboot the team. You know, their continuity, and to some degree or another, reimagine who these characters are. I mean, having read a decent cross section of Legion of Superheroes stories, I don't think that the way the characters are portrayed in in Legion of Superheroes, the three boot version. I don't see that as a drastic departure from that which has come before. But, you know, that having been said, it is definitely it's definitely a different flavor, put it that way, you know? Um, so that's pretty much where I'm coming from, you know, with this. This to me is a lot closer to I guess what I want from the Legion of Superheroes. I mean I realize that the original version has a ton of admirers. To some degree or another, the post-Zero Hour version has admirers, but for my money, the three-boot Legion is everything that the Legion of Superheroes needs to be. So that's really the main reason that I gravitate towards that. And that's also why, by the way, you know, the sort of young, spunky attitude that they've got? That's one of the reasons why I wanted to use uh, this this song as the... the, the the song that you're hearing right now, I wanted to use that as this week's theme song because to me there's something that just feels so legion about this song. You know, this is the kind of thing that they probably drive around blasting out the windows and, you know, annoying, you know, the grown-ups with in their time. And if it seems a little 21st century, well, they're reading 20th and 21st century comics all through this, all through those comics. It's like DC Comics, are sort of meta-comics. They're sort of meta-fiction, and all of this, and that actually leads into, I guess, the Three Boot Legion's undoing, but I'll save that topic, I guess, for some other time, or for later, or something like that. Now, for those of you who don't remember, I talked about uh, the Three Boot Legion of Superheroes way back, way, way, way back, in episode three of Trenis Magnus Punches Reality, and... Basically, the uh, you know, where I'd left off was that Lightning Lad and Saturn Girl were on Rimworld nineteen doing a search and rescue operation, wherein they were attacked by the terrorist group called Terror Firma on orders from Lemnos, their leader. And basically, Lightning Lad pretty much kicked their asses and forced them to retreat, which they did. They opened up a transmatter portal so that they could uh, effect their retreat, but unbeknownst to them, Bryn Londo tagged along for the ride, and he's basically spying on them now. So that's, I guess, the um, background, really, for all of this. So for Legion of Super, and that's Legion of Superheroes number five, so here for issue number six, synopsis is as follows. Shadow Lass, Karate Kid, And Ultra Boy are hanging around in Sydney, where the climate now is arctic, due to earlier magnetic storms. Ultra Boy explains the loss of his uh, the loss of his control over his powers to Karate Kid, who asks Ultra Boy to spar with him. Karate Kid can easily avoid Ultra Boy's attacks, and Karate Kid is soon thrown away, rather angrily so, by a kind of pissed-off Ultra Boy who underestimates the power of control. Karate Kid demonstrates the power of control when he finds a weak spot in the ice mass and strikes it, revealing Sydney's Opera House underneath. Meanwhile, back at Legion headquarters, Star Boy asks about the Legion's budget, and Cosmic Boy introduces him to Princess Projectra, Princess Projectra, of Orondo, the most wealthy planet in the known universe. While Cosmic Boy and Star Boy are hanging around in her quarters. She gets a lot of scrying calls from her father, King Voxov, who talks about the alarming weather. Princess Projectra begins wondering if she's a real legionnaire when she hears that Cosmic Boy just came in to ask her to write a check. King Voxov calls again, and this time it's about invaders who begin tearing Orondo apart. Cosmic Boy summons all legionnaires within the range of his flight ring, and request that they make a transmatter jump to Orondo. Brainiac 5 fails to open the portal because of an electromagnetic tempest, which is basically the only way to, sur- to circumvent is to generate enough energy to push through, which is why Cosmic Boy tells Sunboy to meet him in Brainiac 5's lab. However, they fail to get there in time, and Orondo's population is wiped out. Later, Brainiac 5 tries to uncover the identity of a man... Predicted by Dream Girl to have a critical tie to the upcoming war, suddenly the man appears in the lab, presents himself as Lemnos, and explains his plans to Brainiac Five. Before Lemnos leaves, he wipes out uh, Brainy's memory of their meeting. To be continued. So, this is this is a fun little fun little issue, uh, really. I could pretty much make the same sort of comment about all of the Mark Wade and Barry Kitson issues of Legion of Superheroes. I mean, they're just fun. For example, there's this moment where Star Boy and Cosmic Boy are hanging around outside of uh, Projectra's—I don't know—quarters, I guess—and they and they have to bribe their way in by Projectra's bodyguards. And so what they do is they bribe the bodyguards with comics. Straight out of Element Lad's personal stash, and you can read the uh, the cover to one of the comics as Mystery and Space. The other one looks to be uh, an issue of Superman. It's honestly, it's it's so hard to read because it's so small on the page, but it looks like that's the Superman logo on the cover of one of the comics. So anyway, it's just you know little things like that. The dialogue all all, all through that scene. It's just funny, you know, and I was just really taken. In fact, I'm, I'm in case it hasn't been made obvious, i am kind of taken by this entire mini series, but or mini series, I'm sorry, by this entire series. I privately, I kind of think of it as being a mini series just because of the fact that it was, it ended, in my opinion, so prematurely. And I don't know. There's a lot of fiddle fuckery that's going on behind the scenes, and I choose not to talk about that right now because I'm trying to accentuate the positive here. So, the next little item of business here that I just ate up with the spoon is Karate Kid training Ultra Boy in the the wastes of Australia. You know, it's a this very hot looking place. It's snow-covered, and that's because the Earth's magnetic poles have shifted, and so this isn't really so much... I mean, this is a lot further south, I guess, in a relative sense. This is a lot... Uh, Australia is now a lot further south than it used to be. So, number one, this emphasizes just how powerful Karate Kid really is. I mean, he doesn't really have any powers as such. He, He's basically just that good at all martial arts that he can even go toe-to-toe with Ultra Boy and live to tell the tale, you know? And... That's, I mean, that's power, you know, in its own way. That's power. So the other thing that he does, though, is that he emphasizes that control, something that Ultra Boy just doesn't have a whole lot of respect for, control makes all the difference. And that's actually going to come up again in a future issue that we're going to be getting to in just a few moments. That's going to become not a major point, but kind of a point. It's going to get called back in a future issue. That's what I'm saying. So anyway, this entire issue is just, it's uh, its a lot of fun. But I guess I probably need to get into a little bit more depth with, I guess, goings-on with uh, a Terra Firma Lemnos and and all of that. And basically, they're sort of the big bad for this first storyline in uh, in this title. They're basically going to be the ones who... They're the ones posing a threat. And it's kind of funny to think that on some level, there are a lot of superficial similarities between terra firma and the legion in as much as they seem to have very similar goals they basically want they want a more cultured galaxy basically they live in a very futuristic version of the 1950s or at least the stereotype of the 1950s you know very Ozzy and harriet very father knows best governed by these very strict uh, you know, social mores and everything. And the Legion of Superheroes, the the sheer existence of the Legion is basically a rebellion against that. And they're basically working to overturn all of those things. And there's a sense in which they have a common cause with terra firma. They don't have common methods, God knows. But they are somewhat fellow travelers in that sense. And naturally, their, their differences in methods, not philosophies, but their differences in methods, is what drives the conflict between the two teams. And so, there's actually a very chilling moment where the entire city, or sorry, the entire planet of Orondo is pretty much wiped out. And when you think about that, I mean, the genocide of that is, I mean, that's, that's just, it's a fucking, it's unconscionable. So... Anyway, the point is this, is, this is the moment in the three-boot Legion history where, you know, Wade and Kitson have done enough uh, universe-building now. They've pretty well established who these characters are and what they're all about. And so now we're getting into, I guess, the heavy-duty, nitty-gritty nitty aspects of the story, you know? The conflict that's driving all of this. And so, you know, the fun moments... They're going to be in a little bit more short supply, increasingly so, in uh, the future issues. So the third episode, you know, episode three of Trinus Magnus Punches Reality, that pretty much had all or most of the fun moments. And, you know, from here on in, it's going to be a little bit more um, um, story driven, you know? So anyway... That, I think, is a pretty good little uh, segue into issue number seven. Synopsis of which is as follows. Brainiac 5 tries to figure out which planet is next, going to be invaded by the barbarians who destroyed Orondo, when Invisible Kid interrupts him by showing him a screen with the text saying, Kalu is next. Brainy, Lightlass, Chameleon, and Saturn Girl all travel to call you to investigate. While there, they don't manage to find any Kaluan who who still hasn't been completely mind-wiped. While alone, or so they think at first, Lightlass notices that chameleons, I don't know how the fuck to pronounce it, are scanning for something that's not visible. Lightlast tells everybody to stabilize their position with their flight rings, and Chameleon transforms into a huge beast while she creates an enormous anti-gravity field which rips apart big parts of the rooftop that they're standing on. Brainy's suddenly seeing Lemnos, but doesn't recognize him at first. Brainy asks him who he is, and all at once, Brainy's memories return, along with the memory of sending himself the message saying Kalu is next, before his uh, memory of Lemnos was wiped out the first time back in issue number six. Lemnos flees, but not before Brainy promises to remember what Lemnos did to Kalu. Meanwhile, on Earth, five uh, Legionnaires have broken into Brainiac's lab without permission, hoping to find out all about its secrets. To be continued... last the last issue as i was saying is basically that's the issue where a little bit more plot and story starts uh taking over and characters start take start to take a back seat you know the sort of lightheartedness that this book was known for up through issue number 5 it's not that it's gone away it's just that there's less time to to hash through stuff like that and so One of the key issues, though, of those first five issues is that the Legion of Superheroes, to the outside looking in, it may seem like things are actually working really well and the team is, I don't want to say super friends, but they're basically getting along with one another. But the first five issues were basically dedicated to saying, no, that's not actually true. It may not look like it, but the Legion is actually falling apart as a team. And certainly, that's that's what we are reminded of near the end of this issue, when uh, the uh, other Legionnaires, Lightning Lad, Triplicate Girl, uh, Cosmic Boy, Dream Girl, and I can't even see who that other guy is, but basically all of them break into Brainiac Five's lab. And so... It's just that's again, it's a plot point that we're going to be seeing a little bit more of in the not too distant future. So, just something to be aware of here. But in the here and now, the I guess the main issue going on in this in in this uh, issue that we're talking about here, issue number what the fuck issue issue number seven. The A plot here is clearly uh, Brainiac Five's away team going to call you to basically just find out what it is about call, call you that's going to be make it the target the next target for terra firma limnos and everyone else and brainiac 5 unknowingly explains it to the reader the minute they arrive which specifically is you cannot if if what you're going for is complete i guess galactic domination you really can't leave uh, the Kaluans on the table just because of the fact that somebody, uh, a a race of people who are that fucking smart, you are a baboon compared to them. They're going to find a way to outsmart you, and then you're going to walk right into their trap. So your only hope is a sneak attack that effectively nullifies them as as a threat to you. And the... The method that Lemnos chose was to effectively wipe out their memories, destroy their, them. I, I guess on an on an intellectual level, so that yeah, sure they still they're alive and they exist, but for all intents and purposes, they're not even at caveman level. I guess intellectual and technological development, right? And As with Orondo, this is a very interesting. It's a type of genocide. It's different from Orondo, where basically they just killed a bunch of people. Here, they committed genocide on uh, on a different level. And it's clear to think that Brainiac Five takes that. He takes that uh, basically very personally. In fact, it's it's of course they don't number these fucking pages, so oh god, I, there's one thing comic book publishers need to stop doing. It's skipping these fucking page numbers. That pisses me off. Fuck you, comic book people. Anyway, basically though, there is a page if you can fucking find it in this comic where Brainiac 5 pretty much loses it on Saturn Girl. He says that look, This is not a fever, blister, or an ulcer. This is not a health setback. The Kaluans are losing everything they are and everything that makes them important in this universe. Do you get that? Without intellect, you have nothing. You are nothing. If you're perceived as intellectually inferior, you are told you're stupid and you're considered worthless and you are an outcast. Do you understand that? I mean, this is basically wiping out an entire race of people, and the most, to them, this has got to be the most horrifying way possible, you know, and so, I don't know, that, that, that is just extremely good writing, you know, that Wade was able to think of a way to strike at the Kaluans in a way that's going to do the most psychological damage to Brainiac 5. So, anyway, that, that works for me, and as I say, though, that's not the only thing that's going on here. We see a, a, a holo meeting between a Cosmic Boy and I guess the United Na- uh, delegates of the United Nations. This is a reminder of the fact that the Legion, for as much as they rebel against the adults, they still have a relationship with the adults. And basically, Cosmic Boy is bitching the delegates out for sending his team. Uh, on a rescue operation, completely blind, completely ill-prepared, and having no idea what they're up against. Number one, that uh, endangered the team. But number two, it doesn't exactly communicate very much unity to their enemy. And so this is basically another example of the United Planets not taking the Legion of Superheroes seriously. So... It's just, it's a little bit more world building. It's a little bit of a reminder of just, you know, what the team's up against. So, there you have it. Another thing that was going on here is, it's, again, it speaks to the lack of unity that the Legion has, even within itself, that it's understood that Triplicate Girl is Cosmic Boy's spy, around Legion headquarters. And... just the... I guess the... I don't know. I don't want to say hostility, but I guess the distrust that using her as a double agent has caused among the um, amongst the rest of the team. Again, this is going somewhere. You know, it's not going to just be left behind. So... That's a little bit more for the future, though. Now, another kind of fun little moment is to kind of switch back to Brainiac Five and the Away Team on Call You again for just a minute. Um, there's a moment when they're uh, w- when they're planet side, and basically they look around and all they see is what looks to be a completely barren world. Now, that's a little bit puzzling in as much as Kaliu is thought to have a global population of 16.3 trillion people. So the question becomes, how can any planet sustain that much life? And Brainiac 5, it's not enough that he answers that question. He has to answer it in a very sarcastic and insulting type of way. Chameleon asks, you know, how can any planet sustain that much life? To which Brainiac 5 replies, that's a good question. That my people answered while your people was, were still searching for fire. And the answer to that is miniaturization. I mean, what is, br- like, Brainiac as a character, what's he most famous for? Miniaturizing shit. So that is a sort of a hallmark of the Kaluan people. And basically what they did was they miniaturized their technology, their living spaces themselves, so that they would take up physically less space on the planet, so that they could continue to live on the planet without destroying all of its resources, and yet have a 16-ish trillion uh, population. So, fuck, that is intelligent. Anyway, all of that is... In fact, really, just about all of Brainiac 5's dialogue in this this issue is just fucking gold. I love it. Uh, He's the smartest guy in the room. He knows it. And... He's happy, he's happy to be the guy with the answers. So, it's just, it's just part of who he is as a character, and it works for me. So, anyway, that I think is pretty much it for this issue. The synopsis of which is as follows. Brainiac 5 is furious over the fact that several Legionnaires have broken into his lab during his absence. Cosmic Boy enters and tells Brainy that he wants total communication between all Legionnaires at all times. Brainiac interprets this literally and opens the flight ring transmission links without telling anybody. Thus, when Cosmic Boy argues with Sun Boy and insults several Legionnaires, all of them hear the insults, which causes a fight uh, between all of the team members. Brainiac Brainiac 5 interrupts the fight, telling the Legionnaires that Brawl has officially seceded from the United Planets, and thus every Brawlian who's not planet-side on Brawl within six hours can consider himself exiled. To be continued. This is, on the one hand, it's uh, just another fun issue, but it's also, again, getting balls deep into... I guess, the uh, the plot mechanics of, of the story and also the character dynamics that are, at this point, officially tearing the Legion of Superheroes apart. And on top of all of this, we've also got a guest penciler. Right? Barry Kitson, for whatever reason, I guess couldn't pencil this issue, so we've got Kevin Sharp filling in instead. So, yeah. Anyway, whatever. Kevin Sharp does a great job, it's just... You know, when once you get used to Barry Kitson drawing this book, it's hard to adjust to anyone else. So, I think that probably the centerpiece of this issue is the fight uh, that that happens between various members of the Legion of uh, the Legion of Superheroes. So, basically, you you have it's a it's a pretty. I, in, 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 in its own weird kind of way a sort of uh, a kind of kind of sad really that all of these characters that by rights, should be uh, friends comrades teammates these guys should be willing to take a bullet for one another instead they're kicking the shit out of one another and but probably the funniest moment in the whole thing comes when colossal boy or micro lad as he likes to be called basically makes a move against Karate Kid who's uh, who says, hey, I'd pull that hand back if I were you. And Colossal Boy says, or what? We cut to the outside of Legion headquarters and we see Colossal Boy flying through the wall, which again plays into the importance of uh, um, control that Karate Kid was telling Ultra Boy about um, issue before last. So, the other thing here is how Brainiac 5 is actively taking steps to undermine Cosmic Boy's authority. Precisely because he's very well aware of the fact that the Legion of Superheroes is splintering. And they need unity, and that's not, at least in Brainiac 5's estimation... That's not going to happen under Cosmic Boy's leadership. So what Brainiac 5's goal is, is to exacerbate all of the conflicts and divisions that already exist within the team, and then use those to oust Cosmic Boy from leadership so that he, Brainiac 5, can take over and then unify the team properly. And it's the kind of just asshole assumption that you'd expect from somebody as fucking brilliant as Brainiac 5, he would naturally see himself as the ideal leader. And so he simply arranges circumstances so that they play out the way they're going to naturally play out. They just play out faster. Cosmic Boy is going to be... He's going to lose all credibility uh, with the team so that he'll have no choice but to step down and let uh, Brainiac 5 take his place. And... Cosmic Boy may not be as smart as Brainiac 5, but he's not an idiot either. He knows damn good and well what's going on. He knows that Brainiac 5, in his own words, Brainiac 5 has been working so hard to undermine uh, me that my credibility is in shambles. And, and, if I let my second-in-command walk out on me, that will be the death blow. How will it look to everyone else if I can't even control you? And so, naturally, Sun Boy takes offense to that. You know, the whole, how can I, you know, controlling you aspect. So, Cosmic Boy says, look, that came out wrong. It just means I need to be able to count on you, Sun Boy. And right now, I can't. So, it's at that moment, after he no sooner got through shit-talking all of the uh, members of the Legion of Superheroes, that... Brainiac 5 opens up a holographic communication and basically says, "Hey, everybody just heard you shit talk them." You know, pseudo-intellectual jerkwit, all of that kind of stuff. All of the names that he said, uh, all of the names that he uh called everybody. Yeah, they all know. So, and so basically you've got the Legion splitting into what amounts to uh Two different camps. There's the pro Cosmic Boy camp and there's the pro Brainiac 5 camp. So, and to be fair, I mean, there is a sense in which Cosmic Boy really did do a lot of this stuff to himself. Brainiac 5 factually points out you, Cosmic Boy, used Triplicate Girl as a spy to uncover private information about other Legionnaires. you cosmic boy intentionally took advantage of my Brainiac 5s recent absence to raid my lab rather than simply ask for my cooperation. And Brainiac five's point in all of this is you did this to yourself. They had to choose sides eventually. So this is not, this is not really a betrayal as such. Brainiac Five wants the Legion to be a team, but he also wants to save millions of lives. And if that divides the team, in his view, it's better that some of them succeed following Brainiac Five, than all of them fail following Cosmic Boy. So... I don't know. That's... There's a sort of logical... and I, And I mean that in the Vulcan sense of the word. There's a very coldly logical method to all of this madness. Brainiac 5 didn't create the situation. He's basically exacerbated it prematurely. This was going to happen in the end, no matter what. So he's basically forcing it to happen now so that the team or what's left of it can unify behind him. And I don't know. There's just this arrogant fucking presumptuous presumptuousness to all of that. It so completely fits everything that Brainiac 5 has been portrayed to be in this series, and it's just extremely uh, believable. And let's not overlook the obvious. I mean, these are a bunch of hot-headed teenagers. It was only a matter of time before they started beating the fuck out of each other and taking sides against one another. And so... Yeah, they want to be unified. They want to be a team. But there's just an organizational capacity that teenagers inherently don't have. You know, that as an adult, you know, you're capable of deciding that, you know what? This person is the one who's running the show. So he's the one that I'm going to cooperate with, you know. As a teenager, you don't really have that. You know, it's not a self-organizing type of thing. And this kind of plays into the fact that this is what R.J. Brand always brought to, I guess, what he always brought to the team. He was the adult. He was the guy that would always, I guess, calm the storms whenever things like this happened. But this is a team with an inherent distrust of adults, and so they would never allow somebody like R.J. Brand to lead the team. And this is not to mention the fact that I was just never a really big RJ fan to begin with. It doesn't really bother me that he's not a, a part of this iteration of the team. I mean, I'm just not, I've never really been all that big on, on RJ brand. I mean, it, it, it does feel a little, I don't, it, it feels a little 1950s somehow that you, you have to have an adult in charge and running the show. I mean, I can buy that from the X-Men just because of the generational aspect of of what that team is supposed to be. But it really doesn't add up quite as well with the Legion of Superheroes. And so I actually find it, if anything, it's actually incredibly honest with the material that Mark Wade made the conscious decision not to have an RJ Brand type of figure leading the team, because they wouldn't view it as leading the team. They would view it as, controlling the team. And that is not to be permitted. So that I find just, I don't know, it's, it's easy for me to believe in that is what I'm saying. So then, of course, uh, the issue ends with the announcement that Brawl is not only seceding from the United Planets, but it's also sealing itself off. So pretty much if you're Brawlian and you're not back on the planet within the next six hours... You can consider yourself officially fucking exiled, and that's the kind of just chicken shit diplomatic approach I, I would I would expect from someone who's desperately trying to they're de- they're desperately trying to be neutral to save their own asses, and I don't know that's it's just kind of a pussy thing to do, and it's easy to believe that. Uh, a uh, an entire galaxy of adult betas would would make a dumbass decision like that you know like if we just stick our heads in the sand and act like there's not a problem there won't be a problem so it's fucking retarded but i can what i'm saying is i find that easy to believe even if i don't believe that's a winnable strategy so anyway very easy to uh to believe in and Honestly, I think that's probably about as far as I need to go, because I think starting in issue nine, shit really does start going down, and I don't want to end this episode with issue nine. So I'm going to go ahead and and, uh, end it with issue number eight. But again, the thing about this that works for me, and when I say this, I mean the three boot Legion of Superheroes, it works for me in that they're kind of rebels, they're bucking the system, and... You know, Mark Wade has said that he has always viewed the Legion of Superheroes as being somewhat countercultural in their own era, their own time, you know. And I don't know if I would have ever thought to put it in quite those terms, but I do think there's, you know, something to that of an entire team of uh, teenagers with superpowers, rather than volunteering their services to the government or to the police, you know, the science police or whoever else, they instead decide to band together in order to save the day. And classically, what they've always been inspired by was Superboy, but something, something John Byrne happened. And so that had to change. And so this era of the Legion of Superheroes, they're inspired by, let's face it, comics. It came out that when the unbooted Legion, the original Legion... I guess the pre-crisis Legion, was restored into continuity. You pretty much, you got to do something with this version of the Legion. And so basically uh, DC editorial decided that this is the Earth Prime Legion and that the DC comics that they're reading, this isn't just a kind of sly wink to fans that they're inspired by comics. No, these are literal comics, literal DC comics is inspiring these, uh, these kids. They live on Earth Prime and, you know, basically they're from the same real world as is Superboy Prime. And this was basically DC's way of showing the three boot Legion, the door. And all of this came so that they could reintroduce the original unbooted version of the Legion of Superheroes. And it just kind of fucking pisses me off that, you know, they had to wait until the very moment that they did this, you know, like 2008 or whatever it was, or 2007. They waited until then to reinstate the original Legion of Superheroes. And this was in spite of the fact that they had a perfectly good, perfectly fun, and I dare say very successful rebooted version of the Legion of Superheroes already, uh, already seeing print. I mean, there was a lot of goodwill towards the three boot Legion of superheroes when these comics were coming out. You know, people tend to forget that, that, uh, the first issue was pretty successful. The second issue was about as successful, but the third issue sold more copies than did the second issue, which rarely happens. The trajectory for these sorts of things is usually for sales to go down. That's not what happened here. Uh, between issues, uh, or rather starting with issue three, sales started going up, which in in uh, today's modern comic book market, if you have a, a comic book sale where, uh, or, or a comic book coming out where sales go up from one month to the next, that's a comic book you keep around. And yet, for some reason, you know, DC made some fucking retarded promise to Brad Meltzer that, hey, we're going to let you write the original unbooted version of The Legion And so, fuck this comic that's coming out right now that's actually successful and everything. It's just fucking retarded. And I think the real reason that they followed through on that is, you know, you can call this angry or bitter, jaded, skeptical, you know, whatever you want, or cynical, I should say. But I think the real reason that the three-boot version of the Legion of Superheroes was shown the door really comes down to the fact that this was a fun comic book, you know. Most of what DC was putting out uh, around the time this comic was coming out, it was pretty dark, gory, or rapey, or or or, or whatever else type of type of stories. And this was a this was a fun uh, comic about good old fashioned teenage rebellion, and that just wasn't that didn't fit what. DC wanted from their uh, from their comics at that time that I think is the real reason why this version of the Legion of Superheroes was eventually shown the door you know and I guess what I really want like it's hard sometimes to read this to read these uh, Legion comics because yes they're enjoyable and I always have a, just have a ball reading them but i can never quite shake the i guess the desire that what i want is fun i just want comics to be fun again and it's gotten to the point now where i mean as most of you know i don't really buy a whole lot of new comics anymore and the reason for that is because number 1 there's just so little that's coming out that i want to support at these cover prices But even aside from that, there's so little that's coming out that just really grabs me, you know? And, you know, damn it, this was one of the few comics that was coming out that, you know, is... This is the type of comic that I want to buy. And you can't find this anywhere on on the stands right now, at least that I know about. And it, it just bugs me. So... And the other thing is, you know, the Legion of Superheroes has been so colossally fucking mismanaged that right now the perception is that the Legion of Superheroes is a completely untenable concept. You know, that there's no way to tell a successful or rather to sell a, a successful Legion of Superheroes comic because the public just doesn't trust this as a brand anymore. And I don't, I'm sorry guys, I don't fucking buy that. Not for one minute. I mean, I read the Paul Levitz era of the unbooted Legion, like starting in like 2008 or 2009 or something like that. And those are just not fun stories. I mean, I just, most of the time it's like, what the fuck is going on? And why should I care for most of Levitz's stories? And, but prior to that, I mean, yeah, you know, the, the pre levitz unbooted Legion, that was okay, I guess. There's nothing to write home about. Certainly, it wasn't any better than, you know, what we're getting right now. And, but all the same, you know, basically there's this perception, you know, once the unbooted Legion was done away with, and then there was yet another rebooted Legion that popped up in, that popped up in the Superman books at one point, and then come to find out all of these Legions never really existed. They're all from Earth 2 or some such fucking bullshit. And it's not that this is an untenable concept. DC Comics just needs to grow a pair of goddamn balls and stick with a, a, some version of the Legion or another one rather than constantly rebooting or canceling or retconning or whatever the fuck they feel like doing. And bruh, just pisses me off. So anyway, I know it was a riveting podcast lis- listening to, you know, me get angry like this and I'm sorry about that, but it's just, there's so fucking much potential to the dc uh, to to this concept of you know the future of the dc universe and the legion of superheroes and all the all the adventures and, and and things that they can have and the character conflicts and the team dynamics and all of that stuff and it just it's like dc just doesn't want to have anything to fucking do with it and i don't know whatever fuck you danded dio so ah, well there's my rant for the day so yeah, that felt good. So, now, I think that's pretty much it for these Legion comics that I at least wanted to talk about. I kind of apologize. I sort of have to apologize for this thing turning into a little bit of a rant, because honestly, I don't really want to run an angry, you know, ranty type of show. That's just not really my thing. But, I don't know. Maybe sometimes it's it's just unavoidable, you know? Maybe... Maybe sometimes there's just no way to get around it. I don't know. But anyway, that's pretty much it for Legion of uh, Superhero Comics, at least for right now. So hopefully by now I've proven that I'm a man of my word. I am going to come back to the Legion at some point. I'm going to talk about issue nine and then probably a few issues after that. I probably am going to go at least as far as the end of Mark Wade's run on this comic. Now I don't have release dates or any kind of a plan for doing this or anything like that. But hopefully I've just now proven that yes, I can in fact be trusted when I say I'm gonna come back to a comic. I'm gonna fucking come back to a comic. You can you can trust me on that. So anyway now as to next week, I'm gonna be talking about at least for right now, the plan is for me to talk about Young Justice. Issues number five, six, seven, and eight. I'm gonna talk about all of that. So uh, come back for that. I uh, loves me some Young Justice, and this is going to be uh, this going to be a lot of fun. So anyway, so I think that's pretty much it for me this week. So bye everybody. I will see you next week.
1: When you think of podcasts about religion, you probably think of this.
0: But at least one religion podcast sounds more like this. I kick ass for the
1: Lord! Darkness to Light is a relatively geeky production in which Alan and Emily discuss topics of faith, religion, and spirituality. But we do so through the lens of pop culture, like movies, TV, and comic books, because we're nerds. Our primary focus will be on Christianity, because that's what we know best. But all religious content is on the table.
0: Well, Think about it, Scully, from vampirism to Catholicism.
1: This is an occasional cast, to be recorded and released as the mood strikes, with topics ranging from in-depth reviews to personal rants about some small aspect of theology or church history, because we're theological nerds. If these topics interest you, check out dorknesstolight.blogspot.com for our more regular content, or dorknesstolight.tumblr.com for our more irregular content—memes and puns mostly. My bad. Dorkness to light. Often irreverent rarely sacrilegious my name is michael bailey and i am a terrible geek i don't watch doctor who i don't care for anime i've never seen any of the harry potter films much less read the books i like star wars and star trek okay but I've never really ventured far into the extended universes of either property. Hell, I have never even watched a single episode of The Walking Dead. So what do I like? Comic books. I have been reading and collecting comic books since 1987, and I have been a fan of superheroes for as long as I can remember. Some would consider this a hobby, but I prefer to look at it as what it truly is, a crippling addiction that I may never recover from. To deal with this borderline personality disorder, I started a podcast in 2007 called News from the Long Lost. Every two weeks, or so, depending on real life, I pick a particular series, or issue, or character, or whatever to talk about, and then I, well, well, I talk about them, because that's kind of the point of a podcast. Sometimes I'm alone. Sometimes I have a guest, like my semi-regular co-host, the Irredeemable Shag or my other semi-regular co-host, Thomas DJ, or with another friend from the podcasting world. The show is located at www.viewsfromalongbox.com, and from there you can find the iTunes link, the email address, as well as the backlog of episodes. Views from the Longbox: A podcast about comics, or a desperate cry for help? You decide. Every other Tuesday, or so, depending on real life at ww.
0: You can friend me on Facebook just by searching for Trentus Magnus, which is spelled T-R-E-N-T-U-S-M-A-G-N-U-S. You can email me and my parole officer at trentusmagnus at gmail.com. Do you have a suggestion for a topic? Feel free to email me, and I might consider thinking about The possibility of potentially discussing whatever you have in mind someday. And that's a promise. Do you have a podcast of your own? If so, why not record a promo for me to play on my show? It's quick, easy, and can help you spread the word about your show. I'm always looking for more promos to play. Keep it fairly short, and yours could be next. My promos can be found at this show's homepage for those interested. Just look for the promos section.
1: Visit our website at twotruefreaks.com. Two True Freaks is always spelled T-W-O-T-R-U-E-F-R-E-A-K-S. If you shop at Amazon.com, please consider using the link at twotruefreaks.com to shop there. If you use this link to go to Amazon and then you shop, Two True Freaks gets a little cut of what you buy and it doesn't cost you anything extra so you get to shop as usual and help out the two true freaks at the same time two true freaks and all of its excellent affiliates are available on itunes and you can choose to subscribe to either the entire network if you wish or pick whichever individual shows you want to follow we have so many shows to choose from there's just bound to be one that appeals to your particular fandom just search two true freaks with an exclamation mark at the end space and the number two If you ever leave your house and you actually have friends, why don't you tell them about Two True Freaks? If you've enjoyed our show,
0: please, won't you take a moment to rate us on iTunes? That helps others find the show, too. The contents of this podcast are fictitious, hypothetical, and probably completely unnecessary. Any similarity to living persons or real-life events is purely coincidental and void where prohibited by law some assembly required, batteries not included. The white zone is for passenger loading and unloading only. All models are over the age of 18. Trennis Magnus Punches Reality is a Magnus Media Enterprises Limited production in association with De of Milan, Italy.